Well, hey everyone, good morning. Good morning and welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel and I am one of the pastors here. Uh, I know it's Labor Day weekend. I think we've probably got a lot of people watching the stream. Just wanted to say welcome to all of you too. Maybe we're watching from the cabin or wherever it is that you're at this morning. We're just happy to have you gathering uh, together in worship on this, uh, this beautiful Sunday morning. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to hop into our message today. Lord, thank you that um, you are with us today as we're talking, going to be talking about in this, in this sermon. Lord, you, you speak to us when we gather together. Um, you are a speaking God who, who cares to communicate with us, to communicate your love, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, your hope, um, your challenge, your conviction to us. Um, and I pray that you would do that this morning uh, through, through this, this text um, and through every other part of our, our, our service together this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want to give you guys um, a, a, a tip. Uh, if you ever want to make my wife Julie cry from laughing, okay, please don't make my wife cry for any other reason, but if you ever want to make her cry from laughing, show her autocorrect fails. Uh, she, cannot, she cannot contain herself from laughing at them. She, like, can't breathe. It is actually really fun and kind of cute to see, I think, uh, when that happens. I'm totally serious about it. Now, autocorrect, she's gotten me into it too. So we'll get together and we'll just kind of read or watch, watch videos detailing them sometimes. And we have a lot of fun with it. Um, and, 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 and I think they're fun because what they do is they take communication and uh, it, it communicates something totally opposite from it. And seeing the reactions from it, it's just, it's just really fun. So I actually have a few I'm going to share here with, uh, with us this morning. Um, some, some funny ones that, that we've read together, we've seen. Okay, first one here uh, starts out, can't wait to see you, babe. Hurry up and get here. Woohoo, it's Friday. Screw the gym. I'm getting pregnant tonight. Response, um, shouldn't we talk about that first? And then, ha, oh my gosh, I wrote Pringles and autocorrected to pregnant. And then the response is back is, I almost had a heart attack. All right, here's another one. This is actually a work email, a work email thing. Someone posted on Twitter some work email fail that they had. Didn't realize that my phone had been autocorrecting best to beast. Why? And so I signed a whole slew of email, professional emails, beast, Erica. <laughs> um, all right, last one here. Oh, here move the slide forward there. Okay, your mom and I are going to get a divorce next month. What? Why? Call me, please. I wrote Disney, and the, my phone changed it. We are going to Disney. <laughs> All right. Um, this communicate, miscommunication, it's funny, right? It's really funny, but actually, I want you to stop and think for a second if some of these hadn't been corrected, right? Think about what it would have happened if, like, on this last one here, if all that had happened was these first two texts have been sent. All right, think about the effect of the person receiving it, the, the, the person, the, the child who had received this text. Think if the, the, the response that had said, oh, hey, it autocorrected to Disney had never been sent to them. Imagine you're sitting in the shoes of that person and you're living with this kind of devastating miscommunication. Think about the way that the life would have been sucked out of you if you are sitting there thinking about this right? The point I'm trying to make is that the, the, the communication that we have with one another is incredibly important. It can fill us with life or it can drain the life out of us. And I think it's hard to really to overstate the effect 
of that on us. Now, today's passage that we're going to be talking about today in 1 Corinthians tells us that communication is actually really important to God, too. It's not just something that's important between your friends or your spouses. It's actually an incredibly important piece of God and his relationship with us. And so we are going to really dig into that this morning. Now, we're in a series where we're going through the letter of 1 Corinthians. And the letter, if you've kind of been with us or maybe you've studied the letter of 1 Corinthians in the past, you see how important the concept of holiness is really to Paul as he writes to this community. And if you remember all the way back in the very first sermon of the series, in chapter 1, verse 2, Paul writes to this people, these Corinthians, and he calls them God's holy people. Now, if you read the rest of the letter, it's very clear that these people act the complete opposite of holy. They are petty, they're conceited, they're self-centered, they are pushy, they're incredibly worldly. And I think the, the profound aspect of that, when we think about the juxtaposition of their conduct, but how Paul describes them and greets them in the address to the letter is that holiness is not something that we do or that we earn or that we merit in some way, that we prove to be by our own actions, but it's something that's given to us, an identity that's given to us by Jesus. And our job as Christians is to take that seriously and ask what it looks like for us to live into that identity that's already been given to us. And so that's why this series is called Becoming Who We Are, is we've been talking about what it means to become who we already are in Jesus. And the great thing about the the letter of 1 Corinthians is that it covers all sorts of different scenarios. There's so many problems in the church in Corinth that we actually get to cover a very large sort of a large scope of human life and of a church that's gathered together to really get a good uh, vision for what that might look like. And in this section of the letter that we've been in the last few weeks, kind of the way that Paul doesn't quite end the actual letter, but for a lot of the, the second half of the letter, we've been talking about what that looks like in our Sunday gatherings. And we're going to do that again today. Now, if you're looking in your Bibles right now, maybe uh, 1 Corinthians 14 is the passage we're going to be talking about. Um, maybe the, the heading in there, I know for the NLT, which is one that we use uh, uh, for most, most of the time in the sermons, it says the passage is about tongues and prophecy. All right? But if the passage were like an iceberg, I think the tongues and prophecy part would be like the tip of the iceberg. It's the part you see above the water. But really, I think there's something a lot more going on that's being kind of discussed for us, that's beneath the surface. And really, I think what it is is this. It's the speaking God and the church. It's the speaking God and the church. I really, when we think about this, this passage, these weird things, tongues and prophecy, maybe they're weird to you. That's really what's going on here, okay? And so, so today what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the passage. We're going to kind of explain it, comment on it as we go. And then we're going to end by just talking about what it means for us as a community gathered together, all right? But first, let me set all this up, all right? Tongues and prophecy are two different kinds of spiritual words that people speak in the setting of a congregation. Now, we're going to get into the, what these are in, in a little bit. Um, and kind of, you know, what it might have looked like for them to be doing these things. Um, Maybe you've never heard of either of those things, okay? If you have, maybe you've heard it in a context that makes them seem very weird or intimidating, or maybe kind of relics of like a a pre-modern church that, you know, believe things about the world that we know don't exist anymore, Okay, or maybe, maybe you've heard them in a context where they're so exciting and become such a central focus of everything that you've been a part of that you, you can't get enough of them. And I think actually, 
you know, we, we can start with some preconceptions when we come to uh, these kinds of ideas. I think it, actually it's better for us to, to, to strip those out and to actually start with this question. Why would God give these things in the first place? Like, what would be the significance of the Corinthians using these gifts in their setting? What are they for? What function did they have? And I think when we start to ask that question, I think we start to get to a deeper sense in which we can learn something well here. Even if tongues and prophecy is not something we're used to doing, um, it's something we've never experienced, really freaked out by, um, I think that's actually a better place to start, okay? And we often go back to the creation story in our sermons, okay? Because I think so much uh, comes out of the creation story to help us understand who God is, okay? And I think that that happens here as well, because what we find in the creation story is an incredibly profound introduction of God and his spirit. Okay, so let me, let me ask you guys a question. When God is creating the world, how does he bring things into being? What does he, what does he do? How, how, does, how does it happen? He speaks it, right? He says, you know, something like, let there be light, and boom, there's light, Okay, now think about that a little bit, all right? Think about what's taking place, okay? God is using communication or speech to create things, to bring life to things. When God creates humans, he breathes his breath into them. The, uh, the word for spirit is literally, in, in the Hebrew at least, is breath or wind. Okay, so when God gives life to humans, he's doing it through speaking, through filling the, the, the people up with his breath or his life. Okay? And so there's this connection between God speaking and his spirit and building up his world, giving life to it. Really, fundamentally, that's how God typically builds his world. That's how God brings life to things, is through speaking. Now, that might seem strange or sort of abstract to you, but actually just think practically about how we do the same with our communication all the time. We can revitalize someone with just a few words, right? Think about phrases like, I'm pregnant, or I love you, or will you marry me, or not guilty, or you've got the job, congratulations, or I believe in you, you can do this. Think about how much life someone can be filled with when they hear words like that from someone else, right? It's just a small use of someone's vocal cords and lungs, but hearing those for someone else can completely change or transform their life. Communication gives us life. It's actually essential for it. And I think God shows us this when he uses speech to build his creation. And so I think when God wants to build his church, like he does with creation, he mainly does it through speaking. Now God speaks to us, I think, primarily in three ways. The first way that he speaks to us is simply through Jesus through his life, his story, his death, his resurrection, his teachings, uh, just the idea of what Jesus is. It's God come to us in the form of a human, something we can fundamentally understand because we are humans, is a form of communication to us, a very profound one, right? A second way that God speaks to us is through what we're studying right now. We're studying scripture, Right? This is another way that God has spoken to us for our edification, for uh, correction, for rebuke, for challenging, for teaching, for, for knowledge, for growth. All of these things come to us by studying this word that God has given to us in Scripture. And the third way that he speaks to us is through his Spirit. And that can happen in all sorts of different ways. 
including this thing that this passage talks about here today, tongues and prophecy. Okay, so when we, when we kind of take all of that, right, everything I just talked about, and we kind of distill it down and try to think about what would be going on in Corinth, it actually makes a lot of sense that the church in Corinth would have this sort of spirit-inspired speech happening in their midst. Some way that God could speak to the church to bring life and order out of chaos and build it up, just like he'd been doing since the very beginning of creation. Now, the Corinthians seemed uh, so obsessed with their spirituality, and they considered themselves quite spiritual, kind of connected to the spirit of creation, that they kind of took one of these things and they sort of uh, made it more important than anything else. And that was tongues. That's what we're going to see as we kind of read through this passage here today. Now, tongues are still kind of a popular marker of spirituality in some Christian circles. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you grew up in a tradition where that was a big deal. Maybe you have experienced it and it was super freaked you out. I can understand if that, if that is you too. Um, I think it's good for us to understand what they are um, especially as Paul talks about it. Okay? I think that's maybe the most helpful thing is to just try to figure out what is Paul talking about here? What's probably going on in the Corinthian setting? And I think it's pretty likely that what Paul is talking about here is something that can't be understood by anybody else. And actually, that's super important as to what's going on in this passage and what the problem really is. Okay? That's pretty obvious. Now, likely Paul is talking, he's referring to something that was understood as a language of, of angels, a, a language of heaven, a heavenly language. Okay, we know that this isn't just a Corinthian thing. We know from other you know, writings of Jewish people on the same time that there was this belief that angels did speak their own heavenly language and that by the means of the Spirit, humans could speak it too. And so that's probably what the Corinthians are engaging here with this tongues idea. And so they are thinking, we're speaking this language of heaven. And because of that, we've actually entered into a new plane of existence where heaven is in our midst. How do we know heaven is in our midst? Well, we keep uh, speaking in these things called tongues, right? And that became very self-reinforcing and important to them because we know from the rest of the letter that they were obsessed with being a higher form of Christian than anybody else, okay? Kind of better than anybody else around them. And it was shown in all these different ways that we've kind of studied throughout the book. And so they thought, they probably thought speaking these tongues and doing it more and more, we could claim we're better and better Christians. We're becoming more and more people who are, where heaven is in our midst, we're more heavenly, we're even like the angels. And they're probably becoming so obsessed with this that that might have been actually largely what was underlying a lot of their pride and arrogance that we see in other parts of the letter too. It's definitely possible. Now, the reality of all this is that by becoming so obsessed with themselves, instead of becoming more heavenly, they're actually becoming much less heavenly. And that's a huge part of the issue of the whole letter of 1 Corinthians. Um, and Paul actually tells them throughout the letter, he kind of uses this phrase over and over again, you're just pu- being puffed up. The only thing that's growing is your head, essentially, is what he's telling them. And in chapter 12, Julie talked about this a few weeks ago, um, she talked about how Paul says that tongues are just, you know, they're one of many spirit manifestations that have been given to the church, okay? None of them are more special than any other. But Paul actually kind of picks back up on this, and he actually goes a little bit further in this passage, all right? So let me read a a chunk of it. Uh, I apologize, it's kind of a long section, but I do want to really get a lay of the land, and then we'll kind of unpack it here in just a second, all right? So let's get into it. Finally, we're going to get into the passage. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to do verses 1 to 19. Let love be your highest goal. 
But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You, won't, you will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Okay, so you see right here this distinction that's getting made between tongues kind of leading them to self-focus, whereas prophecy would lead to a larger church focus because one can be understood and one can't. Okay, Paul continues, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must play the notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody. And if the bugler doesn't uh, sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know that they are being called to battle? It's the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you're saying? You might as well be talking into empty space. There are many different languages in the world, and every language has a meaning. But if I don't understand a language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it, and the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. Since you are so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I am saying. Well, then what should I do? I will pray in the spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you are saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you, but in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. All right, so it's clear from that passage that Paul sees the unintelligibility of tongues as a problem. It's creating a barrier between the Spirit and the, the people around them. And it's turning communication, this communication that we've talked about that's so vital between God and his people, it's turning that communication into confusion. And Paul's saying, what's the point? This is not helpful. We can't tell if you're going to Disney or if you're getting divorced. Okay? And this is a real problem. Okay? We need to have some sort of order and intelligibility in our services here. Think about how chaotic it would be if I were trying to preach to you right now, but I just thought it would be fun to do it in Pig Latin, right? Ide udge usne avye, ide gospel e is ye, at the ide eskre ande o avle avye, a godge ashe, omke ote, ekme alye, in things including e uye, inye arye inse une. Did anyone follow that? Is anyone like a Pig Latin expert? I actually had to practice that actually this week because it's very hard to read that. I just said, the good news of the gospel is that the grace and love of God has come to make all things new, including you and your sin. That's pretty important news to hear, right? But if I'm talking to you in Pig Latin, because I think for some reason speaking in Pig Latin makes me better than everybody else, 
what's the point? It really makes no difference, right? My intent could be incredible, incredibly you know, good for, for, for someone else's benefit, but it doesn't matter because you're not hearing it. That's the problem here. Any exhortation or word of the Spirit would go unheard. And thus the church would not be built up, which is the whole point of this communication happening. Remember Paul says in verse 12, since you are so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. The church can't be strengthened if no one can hear from God. No one can be built up by God if they can't hear him speaking to them. And you see how quickly this design of God to build through communicating with us falls apart. Okay? And that's what's happening with this tongues. So Paul's practical solution to them is to have them not speak in, in tongues in church unless someone can interpret. He doesn't tell them, don't speak in tongues at all. He doesn't, say, he doesn't say this is a bad thing, you can't do it ever, or anything like that. But he's saying when you gather together, don't speak in tongues unless someone can interpret them. And in, and in lieu of tongues, Paul said, I would rather you focus on prophecy. Now, what does he mean by prophecy? This one's maybe a little bit harder to get a specific picture of what this might might be, right? A lot of different people use the word prophecy. There's a lot of examples of it throughout the whole Bible, right? There's prophets. Uh, It's hard to know exactly what Paul might have meant specifically here. And I actually don't think it's super important that we nail it down, you know, perfectly. I actually did a sermon on this uh, a few months ago um, where I, I think it I think it's okay to have a really watered-down definition of prophecy um, in a church setting. I'll just say this. It's simply some word of or encouragement probably to a person or group. Okay? It's not absolute revelation unless it's tested in some way through uh, the community and then Scripture itself. Okay? Or more simply, I once heard someone say, prophecy is simply this, to hear or share God's voice on behalf of an individual or group. Okay? It's a form of charismatic, spirit-inspired speech. It's intelligible to people, okay? And that's really what matters here. And because of that, it does more than more to build up the whole church than to just puff up the one person who's speaking it. All right, let's continue on. I'm going to skip a few verses here and get to verse 26, what Paul continues. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach. Another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must be done to strengthen all of you. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Let two or three people prophesy and let the others evaluate what is said. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. Okay, now this is important. I actually think it's just very interesting because it's kind of a description of an early uh, church service. Okay? This is kind of different people would come and they'd share a different gift with each other and it kind of gives us a picture of an early uh, Christian worship gathering. But the thing that I think that's really important for us to take from this is that there is a real order to it. Right? Paul is saying, hey, this has to look a certain way so that sort of the goal of why we gather together in the first place can happen. And so he's really big on this sort of idea of order. And that's what he actually says in verse 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. 
as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Disorder in the service where God doesn't speak returns the church to a state of like chaos, right? Think back to creation. Before God spoke, what was it? It was a place of disorder, a place of chaos, right? Where things couldn't flourish because there was no structure, no order to it. When God speaks, that brings order to it, right? And so we as people who are going to follow after God, who are going to communicate God to the world around us, should also be a place, a, a people who provide structure and order so that life may flourish. And in a church service where there is no order whatsoever, think about what we're communicating about who God is. We're communicating that God is not a God of order. We're communicating that God is, is not concerned with trying to create a space where people can hear from him and be, grow and be built up. Right? And so it matters that we are people who reflect God well, that we communicate to the world around us that God is a God of, uh, of life and order instead of disorder and chaos. Okay, this is another place where we see how important communication is. All right, let me continue with the passage, and this is a total detour, I apologize. But it's in the passage. We're not going to skirt around it. We're going to talk about it. Maybe you've been looking in your Bible and, and you've seen it here, so let's just talk about it real quick, all right? Paul continues and says, Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. I don't know how I got stuck with all these passages in this series in 1 Corinthians. Somehow Julie escaped all of the not fun passages in this whole letter this summer. I don't know. I, really, we did not plan it that way, so... We'll do this again. We've had a few other ones like this. Let me just talk, let me just do a quick note on this, all right? A couple, I don't want this to become the main, main, main point of, of this sermon whatsoever, but I do think it's important that we just talk about this a little bit because it's a little bit like, a little cringy to read, right? I understand that. A um, couple things. First of all, some scholars have actually noted that there are some good reasons to think this might actually not have been originally written by Paul, but put in later, okay? We do have examples of that other places in scripture where, um, you know, it, it seems like a passage is kind of fishy. The, the manuscripts don't quite line up. A verse might be in a different order or not there at all. Um, the end of Mark is actually a very famous place like that. And if you read it in your Bibles, it'll sometimes have a, a note saying, hey, this might not actually have been written originally by Mark. This is a passage that could be the case. There are some reasons for that that some scholars um, have kind of noted, right? So just throw that out there to you. Um, that that could be the case here. But let's assume that it was something that Paul wrote, okay? Let's just think about what's going on here. A straightforward reading of it would say, not just that women can't preach or something, but that women literally can't talk at all in, 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 in the worship gathering, which means women would not be able to sing and worship. They would not be able to teach a Sunday school class. They wouldn't be able to give announcements. Um, you wouldn't even be able to say hi to one of them sitting next to you in the church gathering, Okay. Um, I know a lot of churches will use a passage like this as a reason for, you know, to kind of uh, put a certain role for women in the church gathering. But I would, most of those churches are actually not taking this in the very literal sense that it's being given. Okay, so if you say at a church like Rest City, where we do have women preach, that we're being inconsistent with a passage like this, I would actually say, well, I don't think any of us are probably being very consistent with this passage, all right? So maybe we should just kind of point that out and say, maybe because of what's going on here, there, might, there must be something else going on. All right? And let me actually back us up a few chapters in, in, in 1 Corinthians to, to chapter 11. Um, in that 
passage, it's another kind of strange one where Paul says some stuff about women and men and headship, right? If you remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. In that actual passage, um, Paul talks about women prophesying in the church gathering. So what he's talking about is actually women in the church gathering are speaking. And he just assumes that's fine. He doesn't actually say anything there about women having to be silent there. Right? So he could have said, if he really thought, if his point with this passage was to say, I don't want women speaking at all in the church uh, gathering, he could have just said that back in chapter 11 too, as his reason for kind of the issue that's going on there, we don't, which we don't need to get into. But he doesn't. He kind of goes into this other thing. He talks about um, head coverings and long hair and different things. Right? So why would Paul, if he is saying here, women can't talk in the church service, why didn't he say that back in chapter 11? when that could have been an easy way to solve the problem that's going on there. He doesn't do that. Which should either say to us, Paul is a total dummy. He's as a memory of a goldfish or Dory from Finding Nemo. He doesn't remember what he just wrote a little bit before this. Or there's something else going on that we have to dig a little bit deeper than kind of the, the plain reading of this text here to try to figure out what's going on. Okay? And I actually think that's the most fruitful avenue to go down. Okay? So what is going on here? Well, there's been some really, I think, interesting proposals made by, by certain people that sort of make sense of what's going on in this passage and also kind of make sense of the culture that the Corinthian people were living in. And I think it's actually far more satisfying way to make sense of it than saying Paul's contradicting himself or, you know, that uh, women can't speak in, a, in a, any sort of church gathering whatsoever, okay? Um, a couple of options for what could be going here. First one would be boredom. In the ancient world... Uh, Greek was kind of the main language that people spoke, but um, most people grew up speaking multiple languages. And if you didn't grow up as a native Greek speaker, you probably didn't speak Greek very well. Now, in the ancient world, women were typically not as, uh, you know, couldn't speak Greek as well as men could be just because of just the way that education worked in the ancient world. And so it's possible that if they're reading Greek, uh, or speaking in Greek in the church service, a lot of the women might have trouble following it through no fault of their own. And so, because they have no clue what's going on, maybe some of them are starting to chat with one another, and it's starting to become a little bit disruptive of the service. And what Paul is saying here is, hey, I know you might not know what's going on here, but I, can you please not chat and disrupt the service? Okay, again, he con is concerned with there being some order in the church service, right? And so it was possible that there's some interruption going on there, right? Another way you could think about it is actually it was very common in the ancient world to interrupt during lectures. If you were in a more, you know, official setting, like a lecture setting, you could interrupt. But Paul is saying here, I don't want this to look like any old lecture class. I want it to look like a church service. And so sometimes perhaps these women, being less educated, may have asked questions in the middle of the service and said, hey, I don't understand this because maybe I didn't understand what you said or something about the education just wasn't quite tracking. And Paul's saying, hey, we can't get through a church service if you're going to ask questions every time you know what's going on. Your husband, who is probably better educated than you and can track it a little bit better, can you wait to ask him when you get home? I think that makes a lot more sense of what's going on here uh, than some of the other proposals, all right? At the end of the day, we're not 100% sure, but I do really think it's probably not the, the very literal reading of this that Paul is talking about, all right? Let's move on, all right? Let's try to get back into what the rest of the passage is about um, and, and kind of land the plane and make a few observations for um, the rest of you know, our lives and things we can take away for our own churches. 
All right, so let's, uh, last two verses of the passage. So my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid, get, forbid speaking in tongues, but be sure that everything is done properly in order, okay? Paul lands the plane with a recap and restatement of the order idea. And basically saying, let the speaking God speak. It matters to me that the speaking God can speak, but your intentionality in that, in allowing there to be some order, is gonna make it so that you're set up to listen to that well. Okay, and that's kind of what I want to talk about here for the rest of our services. We wrap everything up here today. Okay, God is speaking. God is speaking. That's what he desires to do to us. Are we setting ourselves up to listen when he speaks to us well? That's the question I have for us as we end here. Without God speaking to it, we're going to return to the dust and disorder of, 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 of creation, before creation. We need God to speak to us. Now, God can speak to us at all times. Like I said, he speaks to us through scripture. When we read his word, when we study it, when we meditate on it, his spirit speaks to us. I think we can find God speaking to us as we read through scripture. As we maybe call to remembrance words he said in the past to fill us with joy. Um, In times of silence and solitude, in a worshiping posture, perhaps listening to worship music, we open ourselves up to it if we believe he'll speak to us through those things. None of it's automatic. It's not, uh, I don't think we should expect God to speak to us whenever we reach out to him. He's going to speak to us when he wants to, but I think we should expect that he does and he will. In times when we need it in big and small ways to give us a word of comfort, a word of challenge to give us life in some way. But this passage isn't about us on our own. It's actually about how God speaks to us when we gather together and how that's actually a fundamental part of why we gather together. Okay, that's what the whole idea behind this tongues and prophecy thing is, that we should expect God to speak to us. That's why Paul is writing this to them. Right? And so that question for us is, are we expecting God to speak to us when we gather together as a church too? It might not be through tongues and prophecy. And that's totally okay. There's a lot of other ways that God speaks to us, but he can't speak to us if we're not ready to listen to him. Every Sunday, I think we have all opportunities for God to speak to us. Every time we gather in community groups during the week or in other settings that we have as we gather together as a church, there are opportunities for God to speak to us. If we're going to open ourselves up to listen, if we come expecting it, then we are setting ourselves up to be filled with life by God. There are a lot of ways that God can speak to us, I think, on a Sunday morning. It could be through a word of prophecy, right? In that very kind of watered-down sense I talked to you about, a word of encouragement that's given to us by God. Um, It it could uh, take place during the actual service. It could take place beforehand in a conversation over coffee or uh, afterwards while eating some donuts together. Okay, God can speak to us in any of those places. It could be in the worship, in a well-written lyric that uh, turns your heart towards God. The Spirit uses it to turn your heart toward God, to remind you or comfort you in some way. It could be in the message, right? As someone through the Spirit imparts a word to you uh, from God's word, okay? Keep in mind, teaching is actually another gift, just like tongues and prophecy. It's a way that God speaks to people through teachers, people who study God's word, who uh, come and, and, and explain it to us in deeper ways. That's a way that the Spirit of God speaks to us. That's a reason why it's a big part of, of our service on Sunday mornings. It could also come in communion. As we reflect on Jesus 
in his love shown for us in his death, as we consider the word that is spoken to us, as we understand what's taking place in his death for us. What's taking place for us? What does that say to us? What does it say about who God, how God sees us? Okay, there's so much that can be communicated to us through communion and through meditation on it. I know there's a lot of weeks I come to church and I feel kind of worn out. I maybe feel anxious in some way. I don't even know, always know why that is. Um, but there's something about being in the presence of all of you, of seeing the people of God gathered together and worshiping him, welcoming each other, right? Of, of seeing that communicated, even non-verbally, right? And people asking me how I'm doing or, or talking to me about my week. That really communicates something to me. We just came out of this crazy kind of earth-shattering event, the COVID stuff, right, that we dealt with, where we were reminded of the importance of being around each other and how hard it is when we're cut off from communication with one another. And, and weirdly, I feel like we just went back to things like they were, we went back to things from beforehand, right? This world where we're very cut off and isolated from one another, Okay. We should know better. We should know the importance of gathering with one another. The ways in which uh, not our non, even our nonverbals together, empathy, listening to each other, but body language, being physically around each other can communicate so much. And when we gather as the people of God, we're not just communicating anything to each other. We're communicating the love of Jesus. There's something about being around you that communicates a word of comfort to my heart. It reminds me that God still reigns. It's still worth it to gather together. It's still worth it to follow him. And I leave filled up every Sunday. You all communicate to me the grace of Jesus on a regular basis. And I think that's one of the values of gathering together. That's something I think the church is supposed to be. A group of people whose presence together communicates a deep word for our hearts. Whatever it is that we might need, we get it as we gather together. And so it's on us to come to be with one another, believing that God is going to speak to us in some way. And when we come in with that expectation, I truly think he will. Let's uh, move into a time of communion and worship here. All right? Like I said, communion is a great place for us to have something communicated to our hearts by God. Okay? Maybe it's Christ's love. His love, which is so great for us, even to the point of dying on a cross for us. Maybe it's of Christ's power to communicate... Uh, that he overcame death itself for us in his own death. Maybe it's in, it's in his, his forgiveness. Whatever weight you're carrying right now, leave it at the table when you take communion. Let him communicate to you his grace and his love and his forgiveness for you to set you free from whatever burdens that you're bearing. Leave it at the table. Be reminded through the communication of communion that this is why Jesus died for you, to make you new, to give you life, to fill you up, to build you up. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to enter into that time of communion. If you're visiting, we would love to have you join us. Um, just ask that you uh, call yourself a follower of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a speaking God and that you do not leave us hanging, but you do speak to us. God, I pray that you would help us to, to know what it looks like for us to set ourselves up to well, to listen, to expect you to speak to us so that we can be people who are filled up with your spirit, filled up with your life, built up in some way, and then become people 
who communicate that love to those around us, Lord. I pray that we would be, we would be a faithful presence of your word and communication to the rest of the people at Red City and the world around us as we leave this place later today, God. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.